Story two of Retief, Intergalactic Diplomat in Space. Edward Shot Sci-Fi, Volume Five. The Desert and the Stars, by Keith Lamer. I'm not at all sure, Under Secretary Stonewheeler said, that I fully understand the necessity for your yeah, uh, absenting yourself from your post of duty, Mister Retief. Surely this matter could have been dealt with in the usual way, assuming any action is necessary. I had a sharp attack of writer's cramp, Mr. Secretary, Retief said, so I thought I'd better come along in person, just to be sure I was positive of making my point. Eh? Why, are there were a number of dispatches, Deputy Undersecretary Magnan put in. Unfortunately, this being the end of the fiscal year time, we found ourselves quite inundated with reports. Reports, reports, reports. Not criticizing the reporting system, are you, Mr. Magnan? The Undersecretary barked. Gracious no, Magnan said. And I love reports. It seems nobody's told the Aga Kargans about fiscal years, Retief said. They're going right ahead with their program of land-grabbing on Flam. So far I've persuaded the boyars that this is a matter for the Corps, not to take matters into their own hands. The Undersecretary nodded. Quite right. Carry on along the same lines. Now, if there's nothing further... Thank you, Mr. Secretary, Magnan said, rising. We certainly appreciate your guidance. There is a little something further, said Retief, sitting silently in his chair. What's the Corps going to do about the Aga Kargans? The Undersecretary turned a liverish eye on Retief. As Minister to Flam, you should know that the function of a diplomatic representative is merely to... What shall I say? String them along, Magnan suggested. An unfortunate choice of phrase the Undersecretary said. However, it embodies certain realities of galactic politics. The Corps must concern itself with matters of broad policy. Sixty years ago, the Corps was encouraging the boyars to settle Flam, Retief said. They were assured of Corps support. I don't believe you'll find that in writing, said the Undersecretary blandly. In any event, that was sixty years ago. At that time, a foothold against neoconcordiatist elements was deemed desirable. And now the situation has changed. The boyars have spent sixty years terraforming Flam, Retief said. They've cleared jungle, de-scummed the seas, irrigated deserts, set out forests. They've just about reached the point where they can begin to enjoy it. The Yaga Kargans have picked this as a good time to move in. They've landed thirty detachments of fishermen, complete with armoured trawlers mounting forty millimetre infinite repeaters, and another two dozen parties of homesteaders, all male and toting rocket launchers. Surely there's enough on the left. Surely there's enough land on the world to afford space to both groups, the Undersecretary said. Spirit of cooperation. The Boyars needed some cooperation sixty years ago, Retief said. We tried to get the Aga Kargans to join in and help them beat back some of the Saurian wildlife that liked to graze in people. They tried to get the Aga Kargans to join in and help them beat back some of the Saurian wildlife that liked to graze on people. The Corps didn't like the idea. They wanted to see an undisputed anti-concordiatist enclave. The Aga Kargans didn't want to play, either. But now that the world is tamed, they're moving in. The exigencies of diplomacy require a flexible policy. I want a firm assurance of Corps support to take back to Flam, Retief said. The boyars are a little naive. They don't understand diplomatic triple-speak. They just want to hold on to the homes they've made out of a wasteland. I'm warning you, Retief. The undersecretary snapped, leaning forward, wattles quivering. Core policy with regard to phlegm includes neo-inflammatory actions based on outmoded concepts. 
the boyars will have to accommodate themselves to the situation. That's what I'm afraid of, Retief said. They're not going to sit still and watch it happen. If I don't take back concrete evidence of core backing, we're going to have a nice hot little shooting war on our hands. The undersecretary pushed out his lips and drummed his fingers on the desk. Confounded hotheads, he muttered. Very well, Retief, I'll go along to the extent of a note, but positively no further. A note? I was thinking something more like a squadron of core peace forces running through a few routine manoeuvres off flam. Out of the question. A stiffly worded protest note is the best I can do. That's final. Back in the corridor, Magnan turned to Retief. Well, you'll learn not to argue with undersecretaries. One would think you actively dislike the idea of ever receiving a promotion. I was astonished at the undersecretary's restraint. Frankly, I was stunned when he actually agreed to a note. I, of course, will have to draft it. Magnum pulled at his lower lip thoughtfully. Now, I wonder, should I view with deep concern an act of open aggression, or merely point out an apparent violation of technicalities? Don't bother, Retief said. I have a draft all ready to go. But how? I had a feeling I'd get paper instead of action, Retief said. I thought I'd save a little time all around. At times, your cynicism borders on impudence. At other times, it borders on disgust. Now if we'll run the note through for signature, or try to catch the six o'clock shuttle. Even so soon? There's an important reception tonight. Some of our biggest names will be there. An excellent opportunity for you to join in a diplomatic give and take. No thanks. I want to get back to Flam and join in something mild, like a dinosaur hunt. When you get there, said Magnan, I hope you'll make it quite clear that this matter is to be settled without violence. Don't worry, I'll keep the peace, if I have to start a war to do it. On the broad veranda at Government House, Retief settled himself comfortably in a lounge chair. He accepted a tall glass from a white-jacketed waiter and regarded the flamboyant flam sunset, a gorgeous blaze of vermilion and purple that reflected from a still lake, tinged the broad lawn with colour, silhouetted tall poplars among flower beds. "'You've done great things here in sixty years, Georges,' said Retief. "'Not that natural geological processes wouldn't have produced the same results, given a couple of hundred million years.' Don't belabor the point, the boyar chef de regime said, since we seem to be on the verge of losing it. You're forgetting the note. A note, George said, waving his cigar. What the purple polluted hell is a note supposed to do? I've got Agar Kagan claim jumpers camped in the middle of what used to be a fine stand of barley, cooking sheep's brains over dung fires not ten miles from government house, and upwind at that. Say, if that's what the same barley you drink your whiskey from, I'd call it a first-class atrocity. Retief, on your say-so, I've kept my boys on a short leash. They've put up with plenty. Last week, while you were away, these barbarians sailed that flotilla of armor-plated junks right through the middle of one of our best oyster-breeding beds. It was all I could do to keep a bunch of our men from going out in private helis and blasting him out of the water. That wouldn't have been good for the oysters, either. That's what I told them. I also said you'd be back here in a few days with something from Core HQ. When I tell them all we've got is a piece of paper, that'll be the end. There's a strong vigilante organization here that's been outfitting for the last four weeks. If I hadn't held them back with assurances that the CDT would step in and take care of this invasion, they would have hit them before now. That would have been a mistake, said Retief. Yaga Kagan, the tough customers, they're active on half a dozen worlds at the moment. They've been building up this push for the last five years. A show of resistance by you boyars without core backing would be an invitation to slaughter, with the excuse that you started it. So what are we going to do? Sit here and watch these goat herders take over our farms and fisheries. Those goat herders aren't all they seem. We've got a first-class modern navy. 
They camp in goatskin tents, gallop around on animal back, wear dresses down to their ankles. The goatskin tents are a high polymer plastic made in the same factory that turns out those long, flowing, bulletproof robes you mention. The animals are just a show. Back home they use helis and ground cars in the most modern design. The chef de regime chewed his cigar. Why the masquerade? Something to do with internal politics, I suppose. So we sit tight and watch him take our world away from us? That's what I get for playing along with you, Thief. We should have clobbered these monkeys as soon as they set foot on our world. Slow down, I haven't finished yet. There's still the note. I've got plenty of paper already. Rolls and rolls of it. Give diplomatic processes a chance, said Thief. The note hasn't even been delivered yet. Who knows, we might get surprising results. If you expect me to supply a runner for the purpose, you're out of luck. From what I hear, he's likely to come back with his ears stuffed in his hip pocket. I'll deliver the note personally, Wheatief said. I could use a couple of escorts, preferably strong-arm lads. The chef de regime frowned, blew out a cloud of smoke. I wasn't kidding about these Agakagans, he said. I hear they have some nasty habits. I don't want to see you operated on with the same knives that are used to skin out the goats. I'd be against that myself. Still, the mail must go through. Strong-arm lads, eh? What have you got in mind, Wheatief? A little muscle in the background is an old diplomatic custom, Retief said. The chef de regime stabbed out his cigar thoughtfully. I used to be a pretty fair elbow wrestler myself, he said. Suppose I go along. That, said Retief, should lend just the right note of solidarity to our little delegation. Chapter 2 Eight miles into the rolling granite hills west of the capital, a black-painted official aircar flying the twin flags of Chief of State and terrestrial minister skimmed along a foot above a potholed road. Slumped in the padded seat, the boyar chef de regime waved his cigar glumly at the surrounding hills. Fifty years ago this was bare rock, he said. We've bred special strains of bacteria here to break down the formations into soil, and we followed up with a program of broad-spectrum fertilization. We planned to put the whole area into crops by next year. Now it looks like the goats will get it. Will that scrubland support a crop? Retief said, eyeing the lichen-covered knolls. Sure. We start with legumes and followed up with cereals. Wait until you see this next section. It's an old floodplain. Came into production thirty years ago. One of our finest. The aircar topped a rise. The chef dropped his cigar and half rose with a hoarse yell. A herd of scraggly goats tossed their heads among a stand of ripe grain. The car pulled to a stop. Retief held the boyar's arm. Keep calm, Georges, he said. Remember we're on a diplomatic mission. It wouldn't do to come to the conference table smelling of goats. Let me at him, Georges roared. I'll throttle him with my bare hands. A bearded goat eyed the boyar chief sardonically, jaw working. Look at that long-nosed son. The goat gave a derisive bleat and took another mouthful of ripe grain. Did you see that? Georges yelled. They've trained the son of a... Chin up, Georges. Retief said. We'll take up the goat problem along with the rest. And murder him, heard George. Look over there. A hundred yards away, a trio of brown-cloaked horsemen topped a rise, paused dramatically against the cloudless pale sky, then galloped down the slope toward the car, rifles bobbing at their backs, cloaks billowing out behind. Side by side they rode, through the brown-golden grain, cutting three narrow swaths that ran in a straight sweep from the bridge to the aircar, where Retief and the chef de regime hovered, waiting. Georges scrambled for the side of the car. Just wait till I get my hands on him! Retief pulled him back. 
Sit tight and look pleased, George. Never give the opposition a hint of your true feelings. Pretend you're a goat lover and hand me one of your cigars. The three horsemen pulled up in a churn of chaff and a clatter of pebbles. George coughed, batting a hand at the settling dust. Retief peeled the cigar on hurriedly, sniffed at it and thumbed it alight. He drew it, puffed out a cloud of smoke and glanced casually at the trio of Agakagan cavaliers. Peace be with you, he intoned in accent-free Kagan. May your shadows never grow less. The leader of the three, a hawk-faced man with a heavy beard, unlimbered his rifle. He fingered it, frowning ferociously. Have no fear, Retief said, smiling graciously. He who comes as a guest enjoys perfect safety. A smooth-faced member of the threesome barked an oath and leveled his rifle at Retief. Youth is the steed of folly, Retief said. Take care that the beardless one does not disgrace his house. The leader whirled on the youth and snarled an order. He lowered the rifle, muttering. Blackbeard turned back to Retief. Be gone, interlopers, he said. You disturb the gods. Provision is not taken to the houses of the generous, Retief said. May the creatures dine where there they move on. Ah, the gods of the Agagaga and graze on the lands of the Agagaga. The leader edged his horse close, eyed Retief fiercely. We welcome no intruders on our lands. To praise a man for what he does not possess is to make him appear foolish, Retief said. These are the lands of the boyars. But enough of these pleasantries. We seek audience with your ruler. You may address me as exalted one, the leader said. Now dismount from that steed of Shaitan. It is written, if you need anything from a dog, call him sir, Retief said. I must decline to impute canine ancestry to a guest. Now you may conduct us to your headquarters. Enough of your insolence, the bearded man cracked his rifle. I could blow your heads off. The hen has feathers, but it does not fly, Retief said. We have asked for escort. A slave must be beaten with a stick. For a free man, a hint is enough. You mock me, pale one, I warn you. Only love makes me weep, Retief said. I laugh at hatred. Get out of the car. Retief puffed at his cigar, eyeing the Aga Kagan cheerfully. The youth in the rear moved forward, teeth bared. Never give in to the fool, lest he say, he fears me, Retief said. I cannot restrain my men in the face of your insults, bearded Aga Kagan roared. He sends a mine the feathers, and talons as well. When God would destroy an ant, he gives him wings, Retief said. Distress and misfortune is another misfortune. The bearded man's face grew purple. Retief dribbled the ash from his cigar on the side of the car. Now I think we'd better be getting on, he said briskly. I've enjoyed our chat, but we do have business to attend to. The bearded leader laughed shortly. The bearded leader laughed shortly. Does the condemned man beg for the axe? he inquired rhetorically. You shall visit the Agakaga then. Move on and make no attempt to escape, else my gun will speak you a brief farewell. The horseman glowered, then at a word from the leader, took positions around the car. George started the vehicle forward, following the leading rider. Retief leaned back and let out a long sigh. That was close, he said. I was about out of proverbs. You sound as though you'd bought off a coup, George said. From the expression on the whiskery one's face, we're in for trouble. What was he saying? Just a routine exchange of bluffs, Retief said. Now when we get there, remember to make your flattery sound like insults, and your insults sound like flattery, and you'll be all right. 
Those birds are armed, and they don't like strangers, George said. Maybe I should have boned up on their habits before I joined this expedition. Just stick to the plan, Retief said, and remember a handful of luck is better than a camel load of learning. The air car followed the escort down a long slope to a dry riverbed and across it, through a barren stretch of shifting sand to a green oasis set with canopies. The armed escort motioned the car to a halt before an immense tent of glistening black. Before the tent, armed men lounged under a pennant bearing a lion couchant in crimson on a filled vair. Get out, Blackbeard ordered. The guards eyed the visitors, their drawn sabres catching sunlight. Retief and Georges stepped from the car onto rich rugs spread on the grass. They followed the ferocious gesture of the bearded man through the opening into a perfumed interior of luminous shadows. A heavy odour of incense hung in the air, and the strumming of stringed instruments laid a muted pattern of sound behind the decorations of gold and blue, silver and green. At the far end of the room, among a bevy of female slaves, a large and resplendently clad man with blue-black hair and a clean-shaven chin papped a grape into his mouth. He wiped his fingers negligently on a wisp of silk offered by a handmaiden, belched loudly, and looked the callers over. Blackbeard cleared his throat. Down on your faces in the presence of the Exalted One, the Aga Kaga, ruler of East and West. Sorry, Retief said firmly. My hay-fever, you know. The reclining giant waved a hand languidly. Never mind the formalities, he said. Approach. Retief and Georges crossed the thick rugs. A cold draught blew toward them. The reclining man sneezed violently, wiped his nose on another silken scarf and held up a hand. Night on the horses and the desert know me, he said in resonant tones. Also the sword and the guest and paper and pen. He paused, wrinkled his nose and sneezed again. Turn off that damned air conditioner he snapped. He settled himself and motioned the bearded man to him. The two exchanged muted remarks. Then the bearded man stepped back, ducked his head and withdrew to the rear. Excellency, Retief said, I have the honour to present M. Georges Duhall, chef de régime of the planetary government. Planetary government? The Agakaga spat grape seeds on the rug. My men have observed a few squatters along the shore. If they're in distress, I'll see about the distribution of goat meat. It is the punishment of the envious to grieve at another's plenty, Retief said. No goat meat will be required. Wilf told me you talked like a page out of Mustafa bin Abdallah Khatib Jalabi, the Aga Kaga said. I know a few old sayings myself. For example, a Bedouin is only cheated once. We have no such intentions, Excellency, Retief said. Is it not written? Have no faith in the prince whose minister cheats you. I've had some unhappy experiences with strangers, the Agakaga said. It is written in the sands that all strangers are kin. Still, he who visits rarely is a welcome guest. Be seated, 